4: What is up, Bills Mafia? Matt Perino here, and I am joined, as always, every Wednesday night, by my man, Ryan Talbot, and this is our live edition of our new podcast. We just switched the name, actually. It's now Shout, the Buffalo Bills football podcast. We are so excited about the name change, and tonight is a super special show like this is one that you know uh, th- the idea for it kind of came to me over the weekend and i texted ryan and he was like let's do it this is awesome and so basically if you saw the uh the standing image uh at the at the start of this thing it's a power pod it's it's a collection of talent from around the buffalo bills podcast podcasting world and you know we're gonna be joined tonight by, I mean, the who's who of Bill's podcast. We have so many, not all, not all, but we have a lot of great guests tonight. We're going to start at eight Oh five with the Nick and Nolan show from Buffalo rumblings. Uh, and, and then we're going to have a bunch of guests. Trainwreck sports is going to be here. Maniac and degenerate L cover ones. Greg Tom locked on bills. Joe Marino, the cold front reports, uh, Jeremy, uh, Turner, Buffalo fanatics is going to be coming in here tonight with Rico. I can't even keep it all together. Jay Spence. And of course the rock pile report with uh, Chris and drew. I'm so excited about this. And basically how we're going to set it up is, you know, when I reached out to everybody, I said, let's do a kind of a a take on around the horn. And it's, it's not going to be around the horn. We're not all going to be on the screen at one time, But what we're going to do is we're going to go segment by segment with each podcast guest, and they're going to bring one topic to the table. They're going to uh, list it, state their case, and that's going to open it up to the floor. And we're going to, we're going to talk our way through it because there's, you know, we're in a dead part of the off season now, but there's a lot of interesting nuggets to talk about with this bills football team. So as we move closer uh, to training camp, this thing is going to uh, get ramped up a little bit. So Ryan, you doing tonight man this is exciting it is
5: exciting i'm doing
4: great i'm looking forward to hearing from everyone it's it's going to be a fun pod for sure uh in the news uh we'll have we'll open things up at 805 like i mentioned but we just posted a story over at the site new york upstate and syracuse.com go and head over there and check that out josh norman made his first visit to buffalo today uh met with mayor byron brown uh My son's here uh, making a little noise off in the background. What's up, my man. Uh, His actual pick was for Ant-Man. He saw Ryan's shirt and he was like, I got to get Ant-Man on this thing. Um, But Josh Norman made his first. Can you turn that off, buddy? Hurry up. (laughs) Oh, quarantine life. We're almost, we're almost at the end, right? Um, No, he's being a good boy. So Josh Norman made his first visit here to Buffalo. Like I said, and uh, you know, Mayor Byron Brown was there, uh, Buffalo police officers, you know, people that have kind of been in the fight locally to maybe get some of the things changed in terms of, you know, how Buffalo police, uh, you know, uh, policy and how they operate. And, and Josh Norman was impressed with what he saw here in Buffalo today, the willingness of the, uh, community the gut go- and the government to get together and start a dialogue and start a commu- com- communication and you know byron brown he 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 enlisted it already or instituted already a bunch of new policies you know make trying to make it easier for body cam footage to be available to the public um you know changing the the, the rules so that you know lower tier offenses aren't the immediate uh, arrests or those that kind of like, you know, those escalating situations in terms of stopping, uh, you know, potential criminals when, you know, like we've seen over and over again, some bad apples, you know, have a tendency to, you know, create a very bad situation for a lot of people. And we don't want that. Nobody wants that. And what I thought today, well, I shouldn't say nobody wants that, but most you know, people don't want that. And and we need to hear from those people. And I thought Josh Norman was absolutely outstanding today. And uh, I don't know if you were able to watch any of the videos, Ryan, or check out the story, but, um, it's, it's, he made an unbelievable first impression.
5: Yeah, I agree with that. And someone else said that too, uh, that works for the bills at 13 years. They've been covering this thousands of athletes and it's the best first impression they've seen. And I, you know, I agree with that. What comes in, uh, he was so you know so well spoken same with DeMario Davis of the Saints I, you know they came in they they presented their message extremely well I'm in, you know I'm looking forward to getting to know Josh a lot more this year as well and hopefully he, he kind of turns things around here in Buffalo on the field because I I'd like to get him to know him a lot more off the field
4: all right, what is up, everybody? That is just getting into the chat. We are so excited to have you here tonight. Uh, this is going to be a bang bang type of show. We are in about a minute here. We're gonna get Nick, Nick Bat, and Bruce exclusive from the Nick Nick and Nolan show. Uh, They're going to uh, come in here present their uh, debate topic, and then we're gonna be off to the races. Um, what, what's what stood out to you most, Ryan, about what we've seen? Uh, from the other podcasters uh, ahead of this episode? Oh,
5: well, just that they obviously do their homework every episode too, just the way they came in. You said you were sent a spreadsheet with information. Um, they had their topics ready to go very quickly, so we had time to look over what they wanted to talk about. So, you know, if you're doing a podcast, if you're writing, if you're covering this team in any capacity, you have to do your due diligence. And everyone here obviously does their homework on a daily basis because these are great topics that we're going to be discussing tonight
4: yes and um if you haven't already uh search shout the buffalo bills football podcast on all of your uh, podcast platforms uh google uh, spotify apple all of them uh wherever you get your pods i think we're on most of them now hit that subscribe button as i hope you have done already on our youtube channel where we're gonna have this live show every week and um please rate review subscribe look at this guy We got our first guest in here and hopefully get Nick, Nick shortly, uh, Bruce exclusive, uh, from the Nick and Nolan show. My man, what's up? I'm rocking and rolling, man. about yourself? Uh, It's great, man. But we, we're on a tight schedule here tonight. And so we can't even wait around for Nick. We got 15 minutes on the clock and I'm starting the timer as we speak. So present your topic, my friend, so we can get into this thing.
2: Okay. So if the bills were to have a similar season in 2020, to the way that they had it in 2019, but with improvement from Josh Allen and the offense, which one of the bill's current coordinators would be more likely to get a head coaching job in 2021, Brian Dable or Leslie Frazier?
6: Hmm.
4: All right. Kick
2: it off, my friend.
4: You presented it well, and now I want you to, and that's going to be the format as well. I want you to state it and then make your case because okay. we got a, a gentleman, a couple more uh, coming down in the pipeline uh, that has a full seven minute rant ready for us. And you'll know who he is when he gets here.
2: Oh, goodness gracious. Well, okay. So I think a couple of weeks ago, I probably would have said Brian Dable mostly due to the fact that welcome Nick that we had, you know, this kind of trend in the NFL toward quarterback gurus and making sure that we had offensive X's and O's guys set up for things like that but recently i think that nfl owners are starting to see the value of having a leader of men amongst your group having someone who can guide the franchise and the players through difficult times and through things that otherwise might tear the fabric of the locker room apart and leslie frazier is well respected across the nfl for that kind of thing in addition i think that the Bills' defense carrying over success year over year becomes more and more progressively impressive because of how difficult that is year over year to carry over defense. And if they continue to have that kind of success, I think right now, if you held a gun to my head, I'd say Leslie Frazier. And I didn't think I would say that at this point a couple weeks ago.
4: So let me start here in that I think that the ability for Brian Dable to get a head coaching job is very closely associated with the kind of success jump of this offense this year. And I to be honest with you as as high as I am and Brian Dable I was kind of surprised to see a few um you know opportunities come his way so early, especially with um you know how poorly the offense played in 2018, albeit with a very raw young quarterback and not a lot around him, but what I'll say about Frazier and why I'm totally on board with him, you know, getting a head coaching job and, and likely this being his last season in Buffalo is because you look at some of the things that he's doing. And, um, he was on a, uh, a board of speakers at the scouting combine. He let us know about it when he talk, spoke recently and he basically presented his case for, you know, some type of, uh, changes to the hiring process uh, for uh, people of color and minority uh, coaching candidates. And let's be honest, this guy should be a head coach already. So I think that, sure, the, the, the Bills offense could take off and Josh Allen could be amazing in 2020, but I think that if you're tell- asking me which side of the ball is more uh, probable to be great in 2020, it's still this defense. And I think Leslie Frazier is going to start getting more of the credit. I'm going to go with Dable,
5: you know, and and here's my thinking. In the NFL, this is still an offensive league. That seems to be the trend that teams go for when they're hiring these coaches. Five new head coaches this year. I believe three of them have an offensive background. Mike McCarthy, Matt Rule, Kevin Stefanski. Uh, You had Joe Judge with the special teams background, Ron Rivera uh, from Carolina moving over to Washington. So it was still offense kind of being that aspect. And then with, with Dable himself, Josh Allen was viewed as the most raw quarterback prospect in that 2018 class. So if you can get him to the playoffs in back-to-back years and the Bills can win the AFC East this year, I think that's going to speak volumes to the kind of work that he can do with a young quarterback. And some of these teams that will be replacing their, their head coaches at the end of the 2020 season, they'll probably also be looking for a young quarterback possibly to develop and mold. And who better than Brian Dable? If he could do it with Josh Allen, why not with someone else?
4: Nick Bat, Welcome to the program, my friend. Um, first off, how are you? And second of all, where do you where do you land on this?
7: I'm well. Thank you much for asking, and I will also say Brian Dable. I think that Leslie Frazier is insanely qualified. Leslie Frazier is a person who who strikes me as um, ticking the box of a, as a leader of men. Right, that's something that that people talk about all the time. At the same time, Sean McDermott I think plays in that space too. And if Sean McDermott gets the quarterback wrong, you know, twice, right? Let's say Josh Allen doesn't work out, and maybe he gets one more crack at it. Him and Brandon Bean, if he gets it wrong again then he will be out no matter how good of a leader of many is because of how important offensive production and the quarterback play is. If Brian Dable, this is an if, but if Brian Dable does take Josh Allen to a point where we want him to be, then that will mean exactly what Ryan said. It is all about what Josh Allen was supposed to be, what his struggles were, and the growth under which he will have the growth which he will have gone through under Brian Dable, and that amount of credit and that kind of uh, resume will be without a doubt a stronger case than anything that Leslie Frazier can do. Because as much as Leslie Frazier should be getting credit for this defense, people still talk about it and give equal credit or more to Sean McDermott.
4: I think that that's starting to change just a little bit. And again, we'll see how much as we move through this season, Uh you know, th- there's guys that are coming out of this defense that rave about the impact that Leslie Frazier has. Now, one of the things that we you know, we had Lorenzo Alexander on the show a few weeks ago. And one of the things that he mentioned about why Leslie Frazier might not have a job is this perception of of, you know, his quiet nature. I mean, everybody talks about how calm and even keeled he is. You know, sometimes I think people might see that and question his ability to run an entire program and hold people accountable. So Bruce, do you think that that's something that um, could be a potential problem for him landing another job? Or do you think that if this is another top one, two, three defense, it's not going to matter because somebody's going to give him a shot?
2: I think that the notion that you have to be tall and/or have a, a loud voice in order to be a leader is ridiculous, and it permeates our executive culture in this country, and now it permeates our football culture as well. There's lots of different ways to lead. I mean, look no further than the first duo minority coaching group to coach against each other in the Super Bowl: Tony Dungy and Lovie Smith. Neither one of them were viewed as being overly outspoken or brash. This idea that you have to be loud and charismatic and animated in order to lead is just absurd. If you ask people the types of qualities they value in a leader for themselves personally, they never mention that. But yet somehow when people are hiring a leader, then they say they want those things. But that's just not, it's just not the way the reality is people don't need that to be led but for some reason NFL ownership and executives across this country think that that's a qualification for the job and it's just not
4: who let me change it let me change this up on the fly here who do you guys think and I'll open it up to the, all three of you is the most important assistant coach on the roster underneath the top th- the three at the top
8: hmm
7: Bobby Babbage, maybe.
4: Really? Senior or junior?
7: Uh, linebackers coach, Bob uh-huh. Babbage, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I would probably guess him just because I think that he has done um he's had a lot of responsibility to bring guys, two young guys along in Matt Milano and Trey Edmonds, and where Edmonds is in his development right now. Um, I think that would be there. Bobby Johnson's a really good one though, too. Um
5: yeah, maybe, I don't know, between those two for me. And I had it between Bobby Johnson and Eric Washington. I'm going to go with Washington because you have some young pieces on that defensive line and Ed Oliver and A.J. Epineza uh, who are going to have to be that that wave of the future, so to speak, on that defensive line because they, they have some other older pieces or some pieces that will be coming off the books sooner rather than later. So I think getting those younger players that are supposed to be cornerstone players on this defense in the near future up to speed is, is going to be a major responsibility for Eric Washington.
2: I'm going to say Ken Dorsey. I'm surprised nobody said it before me, but given the fact that given the fact that it was, you know, something where you know Josh Allen comes into the league with a glorified wide receivers coach as his quarterback's coach in David Cully and having a real quarterback's coach, when you have a rookie quarterback who you're trying to figure out if they're the guy and develop them on a rookie deal, I think is just kind of by default, the most important assistant coach, just because you can't rely entirely on Brian Dable for that. As much as Josh Allen talks about the benefit that he got from his personal trainer, you know, with Jordan Palmer, and also from getting Brian Dable, there's this middleman, which is the one who's in his ear. I mean, one of the reasons why Dable felt comfortable going up to the booth was because he had Dorsey looking Josh Allen in the eyes on the sideline. Every time he came off the field, I think that's important.
4: I my first inclination was to go to Bobby Johnson and, and when Ryan mentioned him um or maybe it was Nick um you know my eyes went up a little bit because I think that this offensive line has to be better this year and I think that the fact that they didn't do much to alter the roster at any of the positions on the offensive line leads me to Bobby Johnson in terms of okay you did a really nice job in year 1 you, you got a lot out of, you know, at, at certain positions, very little in terms of expectation. Guys like John Feliciano and Quentin Spain, maybe the most plugged in of guys were or gals, were expecting, you know, some type of production out of those guys. But I think for most of us going into last season, there wasn't some big expectation on John Feliciano to start 16 games and have a significant role. So I think that Bobby Johnson in year two has to step things up even more. But I will agree with Bruce and I will say Ken Dorsey because I think year one for him was stepping into something that was already kind of established. Um, I, I would love to get him in a room and ask him about what the early stages of things were like in Carolina, and I hope to do that this year, but I felt like You know he he came into you know a regime that was already a couple years in Dable in his second year the offense was already kind of established and I think it took him a little time to get comfortable and now with all of these other guys in the room whether it be Matt Barkley or what we've recently learned about Davis Webb there's so many resources for Josh Allen right now and I think Ken Dorsey has to be one of those. I like it silence. Um. So we got a couple minutes left uh, before I let you guys go, get out of here. And we, we hand things over to Joe Marino. Why don't you tell a little people a little bit about your show where they can find you. Uh, and thank you so much for coming on. Cause I'm going to cut you right off at eight 20.
7: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll go first, I guess. So, yeah, thanks for having us on. Bruce and I, uh, until this week, have been a duo on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network, dropping episodes on Thursday and Friday on the Nick and Nolan Show, and moving forward until the season comes around and we get some more things getting back to normal uh, after the the COVID suspensions uh, of everything that's normal goes away. Uh, Bruce is going to be doing a show on Thursday and Friday, still on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network called The Bruce Exclusive, and I am going to be starting a new show on Saturdays called Chat with Nick Bat, and um, hopefully people like it. It'll be going solo and doing a little bit different thing, but that's where we're at. Bruce, do you have anything you want to add about that? I think you summed
2: it up pretty well. I'm excited. My first episode solo drops tomorrow so i'm really excited about it and uh we get three days in a row of uh nick and nolan sort of stuff thursday friday saturday
4: i love it and you can head over search buffalo rumblings on all your podcast um apps definitely download that you're not you'll not only get nick and nolan but you will get a lot of great content over there shout out to our guy anthony marino he does a great podcast on the network and, and many many more i think i saw the bills guys That might've been Buffalo fanatics. It's hard to keep, there's a lot of good Buffalo uh, bills podcasts out there. Uh, So it's a, it's an exciting time. Nick Bruce exclusive. Uh, You gotta, you gotta do a little research. If you don't know why Bruce has the picture of Jim Carrey there, I'm not going to, I'm not going (laughs) to give it away. Thanks for joining (laughs) us guys.
7: Catch you later. Peace out
4: later. All right. And look at this guy on time in here punctual Joe Marino locked on bills, the draft network. You can't hear me. See if you he can hear you, Ryan. Hey, can you hear me, Joe?
0: No. Can you hear me? We can yeah. hear you. Okay. I, I, you're coming through the, uh, the, the, not my ears. So I had to make an, a, an adjustment here on the fly. Wow. I'm so sorry,
4: but you are right on time, sir. You are our first, uh, change on the fly. Uh, I'll use a little hockey term there. Uh, seamless. It was perfect. You can find Joe, uh, on Twitter. Give him the handle real quick at the Joe Marino. Yes. And he is a senior analyst for the draft network, uh, must follow from Jan. Well, really all year long, but a uh, must, must follow from January till the draft. And he also hosts lockdown bills, which is one of the best bills podcasts out there. Thanks so much for joining us, my man.
0: Yeah. Thanks for including me in this. It's a really cool idea and, uh, glad to be part of it.
4: Uh, all right. So hit us with, uh, your topic. And then give your argument, uh, if you will, your opening argument.
0: Yeah. So, you know, when you guys ask for a topic, the thing that I really can't get off my mind right now is the dynamics of this wide receiver room for the Bills and who's staying and who's going. And we know that obviously there was a big investment made in Stefan Diggs. And you know, I think that changes the dynamics of the room. And so what I want to talk about with you guys is who makes this football team. And I think it's very simple when you start at the top with Diggs, Beasley, and Brown. Those three are making the football team. All right. Now, one thing that we've learned about Sean McDermott since he's been the coach in 2017 is he likes to keep six wide receivers. And so I think that's kind of the magic number for us to work to. Now, we have three spots accounted for. We've got three that are open. And uh, to me, I think Gabe Davis as a fourth-round pick as a size option, uh, as a guy that can get vertical down the field and maybe help take advantage more of Josh Allen's arm strength, I think he's in. I personally think Andre Roberts is in as wide receiver five. And the reason for that is because, I mean, first of all, what Sean McDermott recently said about him, uh, raving about his leadership quality. And we know that Sean McDermott values that a ton. And not only does he bring leadership to this football team, but he's a really good return guy. And I think when you're talking about a Bills football team that's primed to compete this year, right, they want to make a run, it's little things that are going to matter, being able to field punts cleanly and consistently, being able to get the yards on kickoff return and handle the ball consistently. And I don't think that that there's another option on the team that gives you as, as much confidence as Andre Roberts does in that role. All right, so now I've got five spots taken up. I've got one spot left for Isaiah McKenzie who filled – an important role for this football team last year doing his jet motion stuff. And I think it's an important role because Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, I love that pairing, but neither one of them has a ton of speed. I think the importance of that that jet motion dynamic in the offense is it helps keep those linebackers honest, and it gives the Bills a true threat to work off tackle and into the perimeter. And plus there's creative things you can do, shuffle passes, you can throw the ball into the flats, you can have them run a wheel. There's a lot of things that you can do off of that jet motion. I think it's important, and Isaiah McKenzie filled that role last year. We got Duke Williams, who brings a physical element to the game, a good blocker, uh, was the most targeted guy in the playoff game last year, right? Double-digit targets in a playoff game. And then you also have Robert Foster, who it's it seems so far away. But what that player was over the last seven games of his rookie season was phenomenal. He, if you average out his – Last seven games in 2018 as a UDFA, we're talking about a guy that is right at about 60 catches and right at about 1,200 yards. Uh, Several, I think three games of over 100 yards, four over 90. I mean, he he, he had all the makings of a top receiver. On top of that, he gives you value as a gunner, and he's good on the kickoff coverage team in addition to the type of speed that we know can make a difference for this offense. And in a lot of ways, I think he has an opportunity – To do all the things that Isaiah McKenzie does in terms of that jet motion. And so, if he can do all those things that Isaiah McKenzie can do, but also give you real value in the special teams department because of being a gunner and covering kicks, we know Isaiah McKenzie's not a trustworthy return guy. We know he's not going to cover any kicks. Maybe he's that wide receiver six because you don't want to expose him to waivers or the practice squad. And then, of course, there's another draft pick to be mindful of Isaiah Hodgins out of Oregon State, who's you know, a size dynamic. He's got great. Uh, he's got great route running ability. Has great hands, and we've heard Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean so so many times here recently say that. What do they value in wide receivers? Guys that get open and catch the football. I can tell you, Isaiah Hodgins might not be the most explosive guy, but he gets open and catches the football. And so I think when you talk about trying to to narrow this down to six, I think those are your characters that are really in the running for this. And um, for me, I've I've been convinced recently that Robert Foster, because of the reasons I said over Isaiah McKenzie, is that sixth guy. So I have it, Diggs, Brown, Beasley, Roberts, Davis, and Foster. And I'd like to hear your thoughts.
5: You know, maybe it's like the bald head energy, but you said a lot of the things that I was going to bring up, so we must be like on the same wavelength here. It, I'm almost thinking, though, that – for once, McDermott might have to bend his, his strategy a little bit and carry seven. So let's just say, the let's go with six first. I agree the top three locked in. Uh, I agree with Andre Roberts about everything that you said. We've seen some kick returns, and what, well before Sean McDermott days. We've seen guys like Leotis McKelvin, who was explosive but had that issue fumbling. We saw Isaiah McKenzie have some issues with, with the fumbling. There's no one else here that can handle those kickoffs and, and the punt returns. Uh, and and let, let me just say right now, Andre Roberts was not necessarily explosive last year, but he was solid. He was reliable. He had some decent returns. But the, the one thing he didn't really do is cough the ball up. And, and it, with the Bills, especially last year in those close games, you couldn't, if he would have fumbled one of those, muffed one of those uh, kicks or punts, and turn the ball over deep in that territory, the Bills really easily could have lost a few of those nail biters at the end of the year. So I think he's safe. I agree that that Gabe Davis is safe as a fourth round pick. So you're already up to five there. And, and then when it comes down to it, I went back and forth on McKenzie and Foster, and, and same thing. I said Foster at the end because Foster played th- almost 38 percent of the team's special team snaps last year. That was more than than most of those special teams contributors, a- and he played very well. He, he took that to part last year at training camp so I I think that he does claim number six over Isaiah McKenzie Uh, and and then I still though have to find a spot for Isaiah Hodgins that's the problem so if you're going to keep both rookies I think you almost have to have that seventh spot but I'm with you on Foster over Isaiah McKenzie
0: if I can chime in before we hear from Matt here's the challenge with the idea of keeping seven wide receivers is you can't also keep three quarterbacks you can't also keep all these defensive linemen that they have. You're going to have to have. You're going to have to make concessions in the defensive backfield, which we don't think Sean McDermott's going to want to do. I think when you start to to think, well, this is they could keep seven of these. They're going to keep ten offensive linemen, four tight ends. There's going to have to be some give and take with that, especially if we're talking about keeping Jake Fromm around as QB three.
5: Go ahead. Okay, Go ahead, Ryan. The only thing I'll say is maybe you make a concession at tight end. You keep Dawson Knox, Tommy Sweeney, and Tyler Croft, and then maybe you have a a player on the practice squad that they can promote within a week-to-week basis there as that fourth guy when you have that fifty-four and 55th uh, players that you can be brought up. That's the only area where maybe you have a little bit of wiggle room there. Uh, Lee Smith has some value in the locker room. He has some value uh, as a blocker on the field, but I'm very high on Tommy Sweeney as a blocker. I think that he's underrated as a pass catcher, I think Knox has a high ceiling. If he can just catch the ball with some consistency. And I still think that Croft can contribute as well, uh, as a tight end two to start the year and maybe get knocked down to three, depending on what Sweeney can do.
4: One thing that I, that I've come to learn so much about covering the sport is how many guys tell me how important their first two years were to their development learning how getting through not only the X's and O's of it, but the mental part of it growing up as an individual. I mean, a lot of these guys coming in at 22 are really young people. So inexperienced, immature. So you take a guy like Robert Foster who popped at the end of his first year and then to have him go the entire second year with almost no production offensively, which I think surprised a lot of people. I'm with both of you. And the fact that I'm not willing to just throw him away yet. You mentioned Andre Roberts as well. I think it's really interesting. Listening to Heath Farwell talk, uh, I think it was a week ago now, how much the potential is there for this special teams to be much improved in 2020. You talk about adding Medicavich to, uh, and Taiwan Jones to the table. Just the continuity of the coaching staff. Heath Farwell, not a, a wide-eyed uh, first-year uh, special teams coordinator anymore. Uh, his relationship with Sm- Matt Smiley that has developed quite a bit. And, and Lorenzo Alexander still kind of uh, zooming into these meetings, I think Andre Roberts, you bring him back, you get him in a more experienced special teams unit. And I think good things can happen. So I think he's definitely in the mix. I think Isaiah Hodgins and Gabe Davis, there's the potential for um, them to be competing against each other. And I know people are like, how are they going to draft Gabe Davis in the fourth round and then cut him? I don't think it's necessarily going to be happen but ha- happen that way. But what I think we could see play out is there could be, your time's not up yet, Joe. What I think we what I think we could see play out is, you know, those two kind of have it out in camp. Foster, Duke Williams, Isaiah McKenzie, they all have it out, but I think it also comes back to what do you need this year and what do you envision In the next couple of years, Cole Beasley's not getting any younger. John Brown's not getting any younger. So do you want to let Robert Foster go out the door if he looks better than Gabe Davis and Isaiah Hodgins with no real guarantee that either of those two are going to develop into the kind of guys that you've already seen Robert Foster, uh, that, that kind of baseline level of production. So whichever way you kind of dice this up, the bills, Sean McDermott, Brian Dable, they have a lot of tough decisions looming, uh, this, this summer.
0: Matt, you know, I get a lot of great questions from Bills Mafia, and the one that I feel the most uncomfortable asking that I'm going to pin right on you as somebody who mm. has a lot of time around this football team is, what the hell happened to Robert Foster last year? You know, I mean, we, we talked about already what he did in 2018. It's hard to to really piece this together and understand the production that he did have. And then to, to catch three passes last year, and I think he was targeted 18 times. I mean, a very poor catch percentage. What would you give as the answer to what happened with Robert Foster in 2019?
4: It's twofold is what I've come to you know at least think. First of all, if you go back to his rookie season and kind of the mental um, hoops he had to jump through within himself, I mean, he was cut, if you remember, before he went on that really nice run. I think that he may have reached a certain point after his rookie season where he said, all right. I figured it out. And then he got to year two. They brought in reinforcements and he had to build himself into a tougher version of Robert Foster. And that did not happen in his sophomore season. But I think that he, because of the talent he has, he could still look at that year and say, okay, I didn't do what I wanted to do, but I still have an opportunity in training camp this year, learn from everything and kind of the trials and tribulations. I mean, it's easy. I don't want to say it's easy, but it's easier to perform the way that he did with the opportunity that he got as a rookie. I mean, not many undrafted free agents are going to get the kind of targets that he did. And it, it was just basically because there was a lot of inept talent around him. Uh, the second part of, of of the thing with Robert Foster and what happened to him is I think he just got lost in the mix. And I think it was a little bit of uncertainty within the bills, whether you want to, say it's Sean McDermott or or Brian Dable with what they wanted to do. I think that that changed from week to week. And there was was, um, determined roles for John Brown and Cole Beasley. And at the end of the year, Devin Singletary and Dawson Knox. I never felt like there was that when Duke Williams was on the field or Robert Foster was on the field offensively. So I think that what the coaching staff has to do is learn from where things didn't work for some of these guys. And if they're going to be given opportunities in 2020, they have to set these guys up a little bit better for success
0: makes sense good answer
4: <laughs> nothing to add there Ryan no I, no
0: I, I think you
5: know I don't know if his confidence was shaken a little bit with John Brown too because uh, everything that Foster could do Brown could do better so maybe maybe mm-hmm. there's some confidence issues there um I I can't really pinpoint it either it, it was it's Maybe the film on him, too. I, and I don't know, because he didn't get that many opportunities on the field. Like he said, only 18 targets. But, you know, defenses figure out players quickly. When, when he was put on the field in 2018, there wasn't much tape on him from college or obviously with the pros being an undrafted free agent. So that obviously could, could kind of creep up on opposing defenses as well.
4: Well, this was an elite segment. Mr. Marino, thank you so much for joining us tonight, man. You are awesome. Let everybody know where they can find you, the podcast, your draft work, everything.
0: At the Joe Marino on Twitter, Locked On Bills daily. Every day we're talking Bills, Monday through Friday. You can find it on whatever podcast feed you like. And then, of course, all the written work uh, and all my scouting work over at thedraftnetwork.com.
4: Oh, and real quick, in a minute, under a minute, who is the, biggest, the most high-impact potential rookie on
0: the Bills roster? Go. Zach Moss. It's it's, it's Zach Zach Moss. He's going to – I think he's a touch of all 150 times. He's going to be a meaningful downhill back to complement Devin Singletary. I think Epinesa is going to play, but, you know, he's going to be a a rotational player that I think will flash. But I think when we look back on the season, we'll say Zach Moss was the Bills rookie that uh, made the most important impact. And um, I really like the dynamics of that backfield, not only from a skill set perspective, but because you have two backs – on rookie deals that were picked in the third round for the next three seasons together, I think that's smart roster construction.
4: I think that's a smart answer. Joe Marino, thank you so much, my friend. Have a great week, weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. All right, we are chugging along here. Two segments in. This has been great. What, 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 are your, what have you thought so far? This has been fun.
5: Yeah, I, I really like that wide receiver discussion there in this last segment, and and I kept blanking on the name for the practice squad. I think you'd have like a guy like Nate Becker on the practice squad at tight end that you could promote on a week-to-week basis so that we only have to carry three tight ends rather than having four there, uh, and it allows you to keep that seventh wide receiver. It's going to be interesting because, like he said, you might have to keep three quarterbacks this year after drafting from. He's not going to be ready to take over uh, the, the, we, the clipboard, so to speak, as, as quarterback two. Uh, it, it's just going to be really interesting with the dynamics of this team in 2020.
4: Uh, quick, quick quick question for all you guys that are watching. Let me know if you're watching this on your TV. I don't know if you'd be able to comment in the comment section, but DM me on Twitter or post on the comment uh, on the comment uh, once this goes live. Uh, I, I'd be interested to know what that experience is like um, because we're trying to make this into more of you know a sit down in the living room and and, and watch some bills talk. And I, I'd like to hear if that um, experience is cool. Next up is going to be Greg Tomset from Cover One. Everybody buckle in, get your seatbelt on. Cause I I hear he's coming in with a uh with a nice little rant, ready and raring to go with his topic. Um he's losing time here though. He said he's coming in right at 835. We're all we're already at 836. Wow. Um, but he does a great job. Eric Turner over at cover one. Um Aaron Quinn used to be on the show as well. Fernando writes for them. Cover one, man. They, they do some great stuff. And um therefore, you know, a lot of the people uh that are on this chat right now they want that you know more in-depth coverage you know what i mean the, the guys that know something about um you know the tape and, and, and grinding it and and the x's and o's of the game and i think that um cover one does a really nice job with that and and greg does a nice job on his podcast and he'll he'll chat with us when he gets here
5: yeah i think breaking down film is something that is not easy for everyone to understand but they make it very digestible so to speak in terms of understanding what players are doing, what their responsibilities are, and I see Greg now.
4: Look at that smile.
3: <laughs> you have no idea how stressful this was to try to figure this out.
4: Power went out in, in, in Ohio tonight. Greg's making it work. Let's let's go, man. Timer's on. Go. All right,
3: beautiful. Yeah, I, I'm risking divorce by jumping on here. Um, we, <laughs> we, uh, I thought I'd throw something at you that I think has been pretty readily accepted. Ex- Accepted by all, all Bills Mafia that it's an inevitability that Trent Murphy gets released, and that we're we're gonna save that money, we're gonna move forward, we've got all kinds of depth there, and we're ready to go. And I, I don't want to dismiss the fact that that is a strong possibility, but I want to go through that. I, I don't think it's quite as certain, and I think it's actually much closer to 50 50 if not in Murphy's favor, that we need it. And I think some things that add up to that are. One, the assumption of development from Daryl Johnson is by no means a guarantee. Um, I saw the flashes everybody else did last preseason, and I get the excitement. He wasn't good in the regular season. He ended up becoming um, a four-area you know, special teams contributor, but by the second half of the season, he wasn't even getting snaps. He wasn't even playing. So I, I, I hope... You know the kind of guy that does develop there is with all the physical tools from a lower level of college play that can step forward um I also see the financial end of things, but Trent Murphy's a rotational defensive lineman. he's a guy that's gonna be unemployed for a day. he'll have multiple contract offers. Yeah, would I feel better if we were paying him four or five million instead of eight to ten million? Sure, I'd feel better, but it's not like it's some gross overpayment. That he's a bum and doesn't deserve to be in the NFL. I also think it's a sneaky situation where if Ed Oliver's DUI comes into play and is adjudicated quickly and becomes a 2020 situation, I think that all of a sudden now Quentin Jefferson's flexibility comes into play later on, but initially he's a three tech. I think that you end up with the situation where. You know, are we ready for Harrison Phillips right off the bat? And all of the rotation we think we have that can work a defensive end, all of a sudden you might need Trent Murphy. So I I think that there's a lot more scenarios where I could see Trent Murphy on the roster than the assumption by Bills Mafia that we're absolutely going to cut him and recoup that money. What do you guys think?
5: I I agree with that. We we recently had Lorenzo Alexander on the show, and, and Lorenzo did a really nice job of, Uh, breaking down Trent's importance to this team and to this roster. But, you know, from an actual playing standpoint, look at the end of his 2019 season. He had a sack against Pittsburgh in that uh, clinching game for the Bills to make the playoffs. He had two sacks against the Jets in the season finale, two sacks in the playoff game against the Houston Texans. So five sacks in a matter of four games uh, is nothing to sneeze at. It's production. It's what we've been waiting for. That first year, he was coming back from an injury. Um, You know, it took a little bit of time last year, but he really did flash at the end of the season. You mentioned a lot of players Daryl Johnson, Quentin Jefferson, uh, even AJ Apineza. You know, we're not probably going to see him make the type of impact that a second round pick normally would because of this offseason being so short, being so limited. He's going to be brought along very slowly in my opinion. So having a guy like Trent Murphy on this roster makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Not even just factoring in injuries as well that could happen between now and the preseason the regular season, but uh, I think the Bills would like to have as much talent as possible on that defensive line, especially in Eric Washington's first year because of the uh, success that he's had. Have as much talent as possible because we know that guy can coach. We know that he, he gets those sacks in the production. So if you can have Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes, Trent Murphy, it, it, as your top three man rotation at DN while you're bringing in Quentin Jefferson, uh, while you're using AJ Epinezzi here and there. I, I'm all for that. And like you said, if at Oliver's suspension uh, is a 2020, yeah, then you can have Jefferson on the inside starting out. And then you have that extra roster spot for Murphy or whoever that last defensive end would be.
4: I think Sean McDermott's. Sits in his film room and watches tape of Daryl Johnson from twenty nineteen, and he's just like, "Oh, thank God, because I think that we can get to the end of training camp, cut this guy, and bring him back on the practice squad, and nobody's going to nab him." And I think that right now, how I'm approaching this is, I don't really even consider Daryl Johnson to be in the competition because of all the talent that's in play here. Listen, I think that you know Vernon Butler is probably going to be some kind of mixture of three and five tech. He's probably going to back up starter start this dude rushes with power and quickness that not a lot of interior guys have. They have so much ability, flexibility, if you will, Quentin Jefferson, he can play the run. He can, he can rush the passer. I think on the outside, Trent Murphy's proven to be able to do that. Jerry Hughes healthy in 2020. I mean, this is a year they got to really go for it. And I think to your point, they need guys that have been here and have done it. I think to Lorenzo's point to see what a healthy Trent Murphy looks like for 16 games finally after he had a full offseason now, a second full offseason to really get his body right. I mean, you watch some of these guys, and I was we talked about this in a couple podcasts, like with Ty and Seki, watching how, you know, he's a little bit older. I mean, he's going to be 35 or he just turned 35. You watch him labor around the room. And at times the last two years, Trent Murphy has labored around the room to rehab, uh, to, you know, just working on his body, getting things right. And if he's able to do that a little less in 2020, it, it could unlock some things. And it, we talk so much about coaching continuity and continuity for guys like Josh Allen, Let's not forget continuity for guys like Trent Murphy is important too. He's going to be in the same system for three straight years, know his role, know what to do. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I think Trent Murphy stays on this roster. I,
3: I think there's a possibility also that the original clock wasn't – as traditional as what we would normally see because of him overdoing it. He admitted that after the fact that he convinced himself, if I work twice as hard, I'll come back half the time and he overdid it and he didn't give himself the normal rehab cycle and actually hurt himself where he was almost recovering again. So some of the timelines where we're thinking, Oh, he's this far out of surgery he kind of reset that clock and that maybe what we were seeing in the second half of last year is what his actual recovery time was once he finally listened and paid attention and did it appropriately is that maybe that's when we were seeing the full speed. And I don't want to paint a only rose colored glasses view. You know, we still need to see continued development there, but I I do think that it happens the same way that the dollar expectation versus the performance taints people and the, a different level, but in the same way as Mario Williams, he played really well. It was just never up to the dollar figure. Trent Murphy is a good NFL caliber lineman, maybe not a $10 million player from what you think of for that, but that doesn't mean that he's not there. So I think there's a lot of factors like that that could really come into play. And, you know, I know a lot of people have hinted that when Sean McDermott was talking about, we think there's some certain players who are built to, you know, rebuild themselves and to be in this quarantine that many people thought he was talking about Trent Murphy and the crazy workout room that he's built in his house. I just think there's a lot of potential there that he could be a leader and that we could see a good positive season from him. And also it's not a crazy idea that if he's on the borderline there, having Trent Murphy play a solid season for us and then walk next spring is another potential Comp pick bingo player, whereas you if you release him now, you don't get that, and we his contract still comes off the books next year, so you're still getting some cap space, not as much as both years, but I, I still think there's there's more positive factors than what a lot of fans seem to think.
5: Yeah, I agree with that, and you know if this team was in a rebuild or something like that, and you want to save the money for that reason, by all means. But this team is looking to win the AFC for the first time since 1995 they're looking to make a run in the playoffs and you want to have as much talent as possible. Now I get the argument. There's some young guys that need to get resigned sooner rather than later. You, you save that 7 million now, or however much it is, you can start putting it towards those players, but good football teams don't just get rid of players uh, on contracts like that just to put it towards another player. If they think this team thinks that Trent Murphy can contribute in 2020 in a meaningful way, they're going to keep this roster.
4: Dude, this was a great segment. You came in here, you know, under the, you know, under the circumstances and killed it in the lie. in the driver's seat.
3: I was I was a little stressed, I can't lie.
4: Yeah, <laughs> listen, that's what we do that's what we want to do on a Wednesday night is stress you out. So, I am I'm, I'm I'm so thankful for you coming on. I want to give you this time before I let you get out of here and and, get, and save your marriage. Where can everybody find you and all your work and what do you got coming up?
3: Yeah, come on over check us out at cover1.net. You can find me on Twitter and- Greg Thompson, G r e g t o m p s e t t. Um, I'm going to be doing a in-depth position preview each week from now until the first preseason game. Going to have some experts that you guys will know from the Twitter and scouting world to break down each position group. We're going to go out through, you know, whether that's a starting spot battle, a roster spot battle, potential uh, train, you know, uh, practice squad spots, some of the upcoming financial ramifications, guys like. What does it look like for Trent Murphy? What does it look like with A.J. Klein's contract lining up with Tremaine Edmonds' extension? Uh, Some of those future overlaps and where those things come into play. So we're going to break that down one position group at a time each Sunday night from now until the first preseason game. So come on over, check it out, have some fun, and uh, always following back all Bills fans on on the Twitter machine. So appreciate you guys having me on tonight. Uh, Glad it worked out. I'm I'm pleasantly (laughs) surprised it worked out, but I appreciate it.
4: All right, brother. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Later, guys. All right, Greg Thompson, our man, uh, making it happen. Uh, I like it. Um, some good stuff tonight. We we're not even halfway through yet. We got we got we're we're literally just getting to the heart of the order, if you will. Uh, and next up, I'll, I'll give them the intro before they pop in the chat here because I just saw him pop in for a second because uh, he's so excited about this spot. He's bringing the The fire tonight. Oh, wait. Oh, no. He's in two. He's in two segments from now. We switched. We one of these guys has a new baby. Mr. Drew gear from Rockpile report. Uh, He's got a new baby. So we we bumped them up to the 850 slot. They're going to get in here. (laughs) He sent me a spreadsheet. Like an hour before we were taping. My son was crying. Uh, he cut himself. I was out on this new trampoline today. I don't know if you noticed that early on in the show, he was trying to, uh, communicate with me and I was trying to podcast, but I didn't get to see the spreadsheet, uh, alas. So Drew's going to get in here, deliver the goods, uh, on all the effort that he put into this thing. And here he is now. I'm so excited. We gave you the intro already, boys, Drew and Chris. The Rock Pile Report. I feel like I gotta I, I wish I had some kind of cool hardcore music to, to intro you guys in. Well,
5: <laughs> first I want to say I appreciate Chris with the little hairs. You know, I, I like that. I like the the playing with the hair a little bit. Yeah. I knew I I know Drew is not a fan based it's on that promo. <laughs>
1: yeah, my blonde hair. Everybody loves it.
6: Platinum, <laughs> isn't it? Your mother doesn't count, Chris. <laughs> so wait a second. I thought you were going platinum.
1: Yeah, this is platinum.
6: Oh, yeah, that's what I thought. Platinum. All right, I love leave, it. Right, leave it. Leave it to the other hair guy here to question his hair. Yeah, oh, Perino, second
4: best hair see in Buffalo. Look at that fade. Yeah, Feeling good. All right, I don't want to waste your time. You got 15 minutes. Deliver the topic. Your opening opening argument, and we'll be off to the races. And I did not read your spreadsheet because I was parenting, which you'll learn a little bit more about in a couple months. Oh, dude,
6: it's I'm, I'm already hit good. us with it. You're already I mean, there. Here, here's it. what we're working with. Everybody who's got your hopes up about Buffalo Bills rookies this year needs to pump the brakes twofold. One, the coronavirus has seriously truncated the offseason enough so that Matt Perino asked a question during Sean McDermott's one-hour Zoom meeting about his expectation about rookies and about how he thought that this truncated offseason might affect them, and he was somewhat bearish on their ability to contribute. He pointed to them not acclimating to team, you know, knowing the system's, knowing where they're supposed to be, understanding the playbook. And then you got to look at what Sean McDermott is is as a head coach and what he's done to other rookies who have come come along over the years. What you've seen is a head coach who has gone out of his way to throttle back rookies until they force their way onto the football field. Would either one of you argue with me that he does seem to go out of his way to make these players earn it?
5: No. No. I think that's fair. Yeah, I I think in his first season, he was forced to play guys more than he wanted to. You know, Trey White, obviously, I, I think was talented enough to force his way, but but there was no other cornerback one on that roster. Uh, Matt Milano was kind of forced onto the field as a rookie because there wasn't that talent there. But besides those two, no, I agree. makes them earn it, and, and he'll even pull you, like we saw with Ed Oliver last year in terms of, uh snap counts for a few weeks if he he doesn't think that you are producing with what you should be doing
6: i made a ridiculous chart that i gave to chris and he was like where do you find the time to do this now that you're a father i'm gonna tweet it out at rock power report just so you guys know i'm not talking on my rear end when i say this but i've analyzed the snap counts of all bills rookies that have played under of note that have played under sean mcdermott from 2017 to now when you look at weeks one through eight and then compare them to weeks 9 through 17 and look at the change in the number of snaps that they've taken and how their their presence has kind of grown, what you see is a team that on the offensive side of the football absolutely forces their play. They slow play these guys. Perfect example, Devin Singletary. Okay, He had 170 snaps weeks 1 through 8 last year. Now some of that was because of injury, but he only got 40 touches weeks 9 through 17 360 snaps and 111 touches that's a percent change of 111% that's incredible what he did was he literally said I get and for people who say it, maybe it came down to effectiveness week 1 against the New York Jets he had four carries for 70 yards that's 17 and a half yards per carry if you're an NFL head coach who is a running back who's getting 17 and a half yards per carry, you'd be a lunatic to put him on the bench. And that's, that's exactly what Sean McDermott did because he's like, look, you're still, I saw you blow an assignment. You're not there in pass protection. I don't trust you. You're going to make me believe in you as a three down back before I'm willing to give you 20 carries for you know, 17, 18, 19, as most of the starting NFL running backs do. And to Ryan's point, you want to talk about guys that he's had to start. There's only been four of them. Four players who as rookies saw significant snaps, and most of it was because of need. Trey White, Josh Allen, those are the two that stick out. And Zay Jones is the other one. They saw significant snaps, more than 70. Those are the only four players to see more than 70 snaps as a rookie, percent of their snap share at the position as a rookie. And you, you could argue, who's more talented, Matt, Who's more talented than uh, Trey Edmonds for middle linebacker in 2018 on this Bills roster? Uh, No one. (laughs) No one. So he had to play him. (laughs) To your point, Ryan, Trey White, there was no CB1 on this roster. So of course, Zay Jones, uh, Jones, Trey White would go out there and play 98.7% of the snaps at cornerback. But then you look at Matt Milano. I will never get over the fact that Ramon Humber, Ramon Humber, 40-year-old Ramon Humber stole snaps all the first like half of the year until the Raiders game. When Matt Milano, fought, what is it, what, week seven? Yeah. Finally got the starting job. He only played, what I think in that first half he only played 180 snaps, and he d- almost doubled that in that second half of the season. But when you look at the trajectory of Milano from rookie to where he is now, now there's concern amongst Bills fans that he might not, we can't, we might not be able to retain him because he's so good that on the free agent market, he might drive a high dollar. Some of that goes to McDermott's approach. Some of his development as a player, some of the credit goes to Sean McDermott because he's allow, he kind of allowed these guys to grow within the system. None of them are relied on unless they have to be. I mean, does that seem to make sense from guys who watch it from your perspective rather than from ours?
4: Yeah, and I'll say too, I agree with you, and I and I do agree that the expectations should be um, brought down a little bit for the rookie class this year just because of what we're dealing with in, in terms of this offseason and everything like that. But the Bills have been, for the most part, very healthy over the last couple of years. And I think that you look at a couple guys – Zach Moss, AJ Epinesa, Gabe Davis, where we're we're one injury away at that position from that player needing to be relied upon. And I think that what's cool is at least what we've heard so far, is that all of these guys, I think they brought in players maybe this year more than ever, that are quick studies. They're smart in turn, their, their football IQ is high. And you know, guys like AJ Epinesa, He's going to be able to, once they get into the facility, he'll be rubbing elbows with guys like Jerry Hughes and uh, Mario Addison and Trent Murphy, who've done this for most of them over a decade. So I think just from that perspective, I think you could see uh, some of these rookies production maybe surpass your expectations just because of the circumstances of the team
6: and what they'll be asked to do. and that's true there is room for that but one thing that i see when i break down this chart and all the data that i've aggregated no player in 2019 as a rookie is a quote-unquote must start think about that for a second josh allen was drafted and i think the plan was to have him ride pine in 2018 until absolutely necessary absolutely necessary came halfway through the first quarter of the first game okay when you look at guys like Zay Jones, they desperately needed a wide receiver because Robert Foster left him free agency. The guys who they've relied on early and often as rookies, it was more out of need. And it's telling that last year, no rookie got that treatment. No rookie had to start. And now that you're talking about a team that's deeper than the one we fielded last year. They found guys like your Mario Addisons. They have guys like your Trent Murphys. They found Quentin Jefferson, who hasn't been coached by McDermott and hasn't? You know, McBean hasn't had him. But you're talking about he. What Heath Who's the guy? Who's the guy that he? Dan Morgan. He said he came here because of his relationship with Dan Morgan, and he believes in what the Bills are doing here. And he's a pro already. The guy has already proven that he can play at an NFL level. With the makeup of the team as we head into 2020, there is no rookie that's a must-start this year. And so with that said, I know I think it affects out of all the players, Gabe Davis, uh, Isaiah Hodgins, Zach Moss. I think Zach Moss is probably the most impacted by this. What do you think some realistic expectations for these rookies could be then, guys? I mean, if we're talking about a Devin Singletary who last year had strong performances. We got a
9: minute.
6: We got a minute to go.
9: He missed a
6: thousand yards. If he was allowed to touch the rock more often, he probably would have had a 1,000 and people would be talking about him all around the country. What do you think is reasonable for Zach Moss in 2020?
5: Uh, I think they're going to bring him along just like they did Singletary last year. Now, I know last year it was a lot to do with Frank Gore and, and how much they appreciated his leadership and on-field play. But I think you ease him in to make sure he can, he can handle the blitz pickups, he can handle his responsibilities. But by the end of the season, I wouldn't be shocked if the two players, Singletary and Moss, are are almost in a split in terms of uh, the second half of the season in terms of carries. In in terms of most impactful rookie, it might actually be the kicker, Tyler Bass. If he wins this job, he could have the biggest impact by the end of the year in terms of of possibly helping the Bills win some of these games and maybe winning the division for the first time since 1995.
4: We have five minutes. I lied. (laughs)
5: Uh, I, I was just speed talking for I, no, no reason. No reason here. But can I then just give a quick shout out to Ramon Humber? Because I feel a little bit bad after all that slander. Hopefully I, let's listen to the pod.
6: Ramon Humber is old. He's <laughs> old. He needed to get out of here before he was even signed. He, oh, it, it's infuriating to me. But so when you look at that, and then you look at the work that the Bills did on the wide receiver front, I mean, these rookies are going to really have to scrap to even see the field. Right now, we're fielding a trio of wide receivers that any team would kill to have. I mean, there's few teams in the NFL that wouldn't want what we're going to be fielding from a one through three on our depth chart.
1: And I think at four or five, you're going to keep Robert Foster for his ability on special teams. And
6: that's it. So you, these there's guys four
1: are receivers, and are you going to carry? Are you going to carry six receivers?
6: And, and that's the funny thing is when you look at guys like Robert Foster, Robert Foster, over the course of he played a lot of 2018. He just didn't get any snaps. I mean, I he only had a hundred through the first eight weeks. Most of them were just as decoy routes. He never even got thrown the ball. He didn't have his coming out party until the week that he was, until the week that he was playing the jets. And they were like, Hey, we have this wide receiver, Robert Foster. He's going to go out there. He's going to, he's going to be our number one. And all of a sudden, Matt Bar- him and Matt Barkley set the world on fire. Chris had to drink the fastest Seagram's. See, He lost the fastest Seagram's bet yeah. we've had in Rock Pile Report history. The Bills yeah, scored a touchdown yeah. in their first drive, and it just put him uh, right out.
4: I'm actually surprised that you haven't done a Seagram's yet. Uh, special occasion. No.
1: Right? Well, we do have Seagram's bet uh, that you can hear on our podcast, the Rock Pile Report, uh, on my hair.
6: Oh, my hair and how it attracts <laughs> women. And how it attracts women but the effect of the way that they slow played Foster's development was that he only finished the year with 541 yards and three touchdowns. You could argue if he was given a bigger market share, he might've had more stats. So then when you look at this crop of rookies, who's going to have to scrap even to see the field, it's worth questioning what the contributions are going to be. I know everyone's excited about this draft class. You're AJ Appanessa. When you look at who he's buried behind in the depth chart and the way McDermott likes to cater towards more tenured players, It's he's not going to be in on third downs. He's not going to be your third down edge rusher. Unless, to your point, there's an injury, I do not see it.
1: Plus the versatility that everybody has along that defensive line, too. Everybody's going to be able to move around.
6: So I think that people out there who are really excited about this draft class, you need to start tempering your expectations as far as what you can expect from them statistically. As far as depth, though, I think that they're invaluable. I mean, would you guys agree or disagree with anything I've said here tonight?
5: No, I agree. The only, the only thing I would say is on that third down plays, you could kick Epineza in the inside to, to really get that potential pass rush. Uh, if it's an obvious passing down, obviously. But, you know, I agree. You're not going to have him in there on those third downs off the edge. You're going to have Addison, Hughes, Trent Murphy, guys like that. But kick him on the inside it, next to Ed Oliver and all of a sudden you have a, a group of four that could really get after the quarterback.
6: Now, it's going to be very interesting to see how this team handles us because I don't think we've ever seen a Buffalo Bills team this this deep or this talented. 2020's Buffalo Bills roster might be, Chris, across the board, the most consistently talented at every position that we've seen in decades.
1: Yeah, we have we have depth at every position There's so much that our GM is calling T.J. Eldon a three-down back.
6: John, I almost vomit. I almost <laughs> threw up <in> my own <laughs> mouth when he said it. And now I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, here's McDermott saying these rookies are gonna have a hard time. Don't be shocked, Bill's Mafia, if you see a healthy dose out of the gate of TJ Yeldon, weeks one through six, and a little little sprinkling of Zach Moss. Kind of the same way they treated Devin Singletary.
4: Well, you know my thoughts on TJ Yeldon. I'm I'm much higher than him on most. I think he has, I think he brings a skill set that um Neither of Devin and um, Zach bring in terms of his consistent ability to 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 play, to block in the pass game. Now, I will say, last year he wasn't great in that area, but I will say he didn't get a lot of opportunities. So, it, speaking of opportunities, we're getting to the end of this segment. A rock pile report delivered. I want you. I want to give you guys this last minute to kind of tell everybody what's coming up, where they can find you, and how they can listen to the show.
6: You can find us on any of your podcatching apps, Stitcher, Apple, Apple, Spotify, the whole nine. Um, we got a lot coming down the pipeline. Tonight, on tonight's show, we had Reed Ferguson, Bill's captain, on the show to talk about his offseason, the fact that the New York Times wrote an article about him, the fact that his brother was drafted to a division opponent. There's a great conversation to be had there. We also talked about this topic, and the, the stats and the metrics regarding how McDermott, you know, we kind of took some time and expanded on it. We have a lot of stuff coming up in the wake of, you know, with training camp upcoming now. Yep. There's a lot of stuff in the docs for the Rockpile Report. You can and then watch. I made
1: them an, uh, an intro for this show, so.
6: <laughs> Chris is trying to make New York Upstate an intro because that's what he does. He's a dork.
1: Hey, Matt, Matt <laughs> and Ryan wanted one, so I, I kind of delivered.
4: But you can, I'm going to try to debut it. On this episode, when when I when I do the show later, uh, I'm gonna have to figure that out technology wise. You can follow to us, us on
6: Twitter at Rockpal Report, and you can find our podcast com. And
4: there it is, the buzzer's hitting you. Thank Thanks, you. boys. I appreciate it. Have a great night. All right, moving we we right this along. Working out nicely. And we're gonna get we're gonna get the man in here.
6: <laughs> what oh. is it?
4: Rico, no, we haven't do. talked in a while. What's going on, <laughs> How you doing? I, I hate to say it like this, but we're getting Batman and Robin back together. I don't like to take the Batman title. We got to make it happen, of man. I, I,
8: this one person I don't really talk to as often as Ryan Tau, But Yo, which one? You, you quiet? You don't want to talk? Like, what's going on, man? I, I'm available. I'm available. All right.
7: Oh, we, oh I no, thought mute was. But we're we still waiting weird. for my man uh, right.
8: Jay Spencer to come through, so waiting on uh, we're waiting on him. But I know time constraints are around. Okay. Uh, how are you? How are okay. you guys doing, man? We're good,
4: man. We're good. If you are on here, I'm sure you already know who he is. But Rico from Buffalo Fanatics, one of the I will say I'll give you the I'll give you the props. The elite YouTube live show and Instagram live show out there. <laughs> My man, I'm always I'm always hyped. And I gotta tell you something. What I really love about what Rico does is yes, I'm sir. a big fan of the players' tribune. I thought since they launched that, it was such a cool idea of like from the player to the fan. And I think the dynamic of you, a huge Bills fan, when you get a chance to interact with some of these Bills players, I think I just think it's like it's a
8: chance to really get to know the player because we know the player through t- statistics. Right. But you get to know the player and you you start to root for them, man. So I'm, I'm actually excited about that.
4: All right. Before we're gonna try to get Jay Spence in here. He's on the come up. We're trying to uh, intro this dude. But but why don't you set up your topic? Right, I don't do want to waste too much of this time. So we not, okay. Not so let's just put it this way: here.
8: we're not on Thursday, so it's not Throwback Thursday. We're gonna go way back Wednesday and hit you with Ralph Wilson. The question of the day: the the the, the big question is: Did Ralph Wilson hold the Buffalo Bills back? Because a lot of people want to talk about how. Um, he kept us in Buffalo anyway, listen, I, and this is not to talk ill of Ralph Wilson. We're talking football. So we know Mr. Wilson was a pillar, a pillar in the NFL, two AFL championships, 90s Super Bowl appearances. Uh, you, you know, the roster, you see who's on the team. You got the, I mean, the, the Kelly's the Thurman's, I mean, you know, the drill It's fantastic. But the problem is after that, there wasn't a whole bunch of things going on. So that until my friend, is that how I'm going to start it off? And I'm, I'm waiting for my guy, Jay Spence, to come through because th- we have something special for us. And I hope that's him on the sideline right now coming through because we need you, big fella. We there need we him. go. Uh, we I think I hear him. I, hear, I him. hear him. Are your camera on, boss? My bad. It's not on. It's not on, boy. So as, as Jay Spence get in here, so AFL championships, Super Bowl appearances. But the the real question is, was it by design? Did we get to... These appearances, these Super Bowl appearances, by design, or was it by fluke? And this is where my man Jay Spence comes in. And they can still hear you, Jay Spence. They may not okay. see you, but they can still hear you. I guess I'm having some technical difficulties. That's why I was a little late
10: here. But uh, you know, well, first, guys, nice to uh, talk to you, Matt and Ryan. It's good to see you guys. I know you can't see me, but listen, we definitely lucked into this thing, man. I, I hate to say it that way, uh, but Bill Polian, you know, he he actually we lucked into him. Uh, He was with the Chicago Blitz back in 84. And uh, actually he was on One Bill's Live not too long ago talking about it, um, about how, you know, he was kind of recruited by Don Lawrence, who was the defensive coordinator at the time. And, um, you know, they just hired a pro personnel director. He ended up having an injury, so he couldn't, he couldn't work. So they were looking to replace him. And, uh, you know, they ended up talking to him about it. It wasn't even like, I guess he wasn't even the first choice, (laughs) you know, so he, he ends up coming in, completely changes the culture. He's completely, you know, he takes the team in a completely different direction. He's getting talented players. He's getting guys that we, under normal circumstances, we wouldn't have gotten. Um, and then there's even a part in the actual interview that um, Bill just talks about. He talks about the, the talent level that we had as opposed to what he was looking at. Um, it's just... You know, we hate to say this as Bills fans because, obviously, we are loyal to the team. We're loyal to the city. We're
8: loyal to Ralph. But I don't know, man. He, he held us back. Okay. So that being said, my man, Jay Spence, comes through with it. I got an analogy for you. Everybody knows that Rico comes with his analogy. So here's the analogy for you, fellas, okay? Picture the Bills. Picture – let's put it through. picture Bills in a gated community. The Bills are the new team in the gated community. That's Ralph Wilson back in the day, AFL, Right. Bringing things together. Pillar in the NFL. Pillar in the NFL. Gated community. All the houses are all the same. And as the years go on, all these other houses start upgrading. New new everything, right? Kitchen counters. Bathroom's done. lawn. The lawn is manicured. Here comes Ralph giving you a push mower. Everybody's got to ride on lawnmower. (laughs) What is the problem with that? Why? Because he's penny pinching. You can't penny pinch when you're in a gated community, man. Everybody's got to keep up. But my man Ralph wasn't about that. If we could stay and do the minimal things but stay afloat, we should be okay.
10: Yeah, that's a fact. And and actually, so right now, my wife and I, we're in the process, we're looking for a house too. So I can kind of jump on that analogy. So like with the, like right now, so we're looking for pools, obviously, with when we're building our house and everything. So when you're talking about all this other stuff, upgrading houses and all of these new amenities, you know, you can obviously go the route to have it put in when it's built. You can go in and have something upgraded, to have it come in later. Or you can go the cheap route, just go to Walmart and get one of those, uh, you know, the ones you plug in and blow up. You know, you blow the pool up and fill it up every day you want to get in. Listen, Ralph Wilson, he was he was pretty much just going to Walmart,
8: man. He was going to Walmart on us. Going so, to Walmart, I, going to Walmart, getting you a little infl- inflated pool when all these the other guys are giving you guys in, in, ground Pool. So when you bring in when you bring in talent like Derek Dockery paying him big money for what? <laughs> when you draft in JP Lossman coming back into the first for JP Lossman for what? This is what I'm talking about. When you have when you have when you put people in charge to do those things, it doesn't work out. You're holding us back. Right now, uh, I gotta jump into this way back when OJ Simpson. We all know the old the great OJ Simpson, right? Now, the player, let's not talk about the extracurricular stuff, the player right workhorse it was to the point where oj's oj's agent was like hey we have a player that you guys can bring to your team and he will bring you championships you want to know what ralph wilson said and i'm paraphrasing here if he comes here and brings me championships that means i gotta pay other players to give them raises because the more talent and the better we do i gotta pay up so he was all about staying mediocre not having to pay to get big talent um And when games, and you saw all of 2000s, we were trash, straight trash. Furthermore, furthermore, gentlemen, because I know we're, we're on time constraints here. Furthermore, when you have uh, an owner that doesn't want to pay up and then he brings in talent. And I say this lightly, talent like Dick Geron, Mike Malarkey, uh, Chan Gailey, right? Donna, USGM, GM. Get out of here with that trash, man. You want to win games, you got to put people in position. We got lucky with Polian. We got lucky. If we didn't have Polian, we would not have the team that we have right now. So I say this to close off. Gentlemen, did Ralph Wilson hold this Bills team back? Were we destined for way more? Was he just just bamboozling us to bring us guys like Terrell Owens, you know what I mean, to make it a bit of a flash, to bring in the butts in the seats? Or was this guy the right guy for the job and he kept us in Buffalo? What do you guys think?
5: You know, it's a tough. It's you. You guys both made a great case, by the way. Let me let me start there. I, I don't think he necessarily did it intentionally to hold this team back. I just think he made some bad personnel moves. Now, mind you, after Polian left, they still had John Butler. John Butler was a very talented guy. AJ Smith. They ended up losing both of those. As I know, you mentioned Tom Donahoe, and obviously his tenure was a disaster. But he was kind of held in a high regard when they actually hired him. He was supposed to be this great talent uh, evaluator, uh, so to speak. They they still tried to make some splashy signings. 96, they bring in a guy like Chris Spielman. I just think it kind of goes back to the fact Mm -hmm. that this team still necessarily hasn't found a successor to Jim Kelly. And in today's NFL, if you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to have a successful team year in, year out. So you, you look over time, yeah, they had Flutie, they, they had Johnson, they had Drew Bledsoe for a few years, but they have never, ever replaced Jim Kelly at quarterback. Just like the Dolphins haven't found a long-term successor to Dan Marino, it, it, it's difficult to do. We, we, we kind of take it for granted because you see a team like the Colts that get Peyton Manning and then they, they luck into Andrew Luck, who obviously no one foresaw uh, his career unfolding the way he did, retiring early some teams just kind of luck into that but many teams have a lot of issues finding those quarterbacks that can be your franchise guy and you know my hope is that Josh Allen is that guy for this fan base because they've been waiting so long and you have Brendan Bean and Sean McDermott who have built this team up and have them right where you want them to be as long as you have that quarterback that can hold water but Going back to Ralph, I just think that after those those main Super Bowl teams, those players left Kelly to retirement and, and some of those other players, uh, the salary started to get to be a little bit too much based on the production. I just think they didn't do a great job of replacing them. And obviously, a lot of that does fall on the personnel that. That he hired, and it does fall on the the poor head coaches. So uh, that he it. So it, it goes, you know. So I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I'm a little wishy washy on, on the topic, but Probably, I don't think he an was answer. doing it. Intention. I don't think he was doing it intentionally. I'll say that.
0: So did he but hold it back?
5: Did he hold them back at, with some of his hires? Absolutely. Okay. I'll, he I'll held it back.
4: I think if you look at at a couple factors, first of all. I think that sometimes owners don't know where the line is in terms of their involvement. I think one thing you could say about Kim and Terry and their overall regime so far with the Bills is that they realize that they need to put football people in football positions to make football decisions. And I think that if you go back to Ralph, even before the the, the end of it, I'm talking about like you know, maybe the early two thousands or late nineties, no, let's say that, you know, 2000, 2010, he was still a little bit too heavily involved. And I think that was one of the biggest problems. Sometimes you got to hire people, enable people and let them do their job. And I think what happened is the success that they had in the nineties, it allowed, it gave them a sense of bravado, if you will, or a sense of hubris Mm -hmm. that it was just that easy. You know what I mean? Like we're gonna get, we're gonna field the team. We're gonna go to a Super Bowl every year. We're gonna lose a Super Bowl every year. Sorry, but you know that's just gonna become <laughs> come on, the Matt. come on, Matt. <laughs> that's just gonna become the norm. Like that's just like we can do that. We built it before. We'll build it again. And I think when you, whenever you get hu- hubris involved in sports, that's what makes. Again, I hate to say it in this kind of setting, but that's what makes the Patriots dynasty so unbelievable. In that from Belichick to Kraft to to Brady, to all the pieces. Hubris has never infiltrated and upended the dynasty. And I think that at some point you, I I, I think more so than, I'm not trying to get out of answering this question, but I would say more so than Ralph held them back. Ralph didn't adapt and allow for continued success, if that makes
8: and sense. And it, it does make sense, which which lets me know that you guys feel that he held us back. Because when you're out of touch with yeah. adapting in this league, this league is ever so changing. But here's the thing that people don't know. Ralph was very much involved in the ins and outs of the operation. It's only late in his career that he said, all right, let me back up a little bit and let you guys run things. Only then we started to see some changes. But Ralph was too... Too, I don't want to use the word arrogant or so, but he was too much like, let me have my hands in this. And that was the problem. Like he, like, like my man, Jay Spence said, we fell into polion It wasn't, he was recruited or anything. It just happened that he was there and he brought us all the talent. Now. I am in love with how we are are progressing right now. I'm looking at the time. I love how we're progressing right now. Uh, I think we're doing fantastic. I, I feel that Big Bean have something special going, and it's just that when I look back at all the times that I could have been proud to say I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, I was always left disappointed because I would say they'd always tell me to shut my ass up and be gone. So, well, let me tell you this, Rico J. Spence. Nobody's disappointed tonight. You boys brought
4: it. Love the conversation. This was really fun. Before we get out of here, and I'm so bummed that we didn't get a chance to see Jay Spence uh, in his big debut here, but I want you to let everybody know what's coming up, Buffalo Fanatics, and where they can find you guys.
8: Jay Spence, I'll let you take this, man.
10: Hey, man, on Twitter, you can find me at J Spence the King. You can find the show at The Conduct Pod. Uh, We got some good things coming up. Uh, I'm not sure what day my show will actually air every week, but last week it was on Saturday. So I'm guessing uh, this week's episode will be out this Saturday as well. And uh, Rico and I, we and also Joe uh, Miller and I have a lot of good things coming
8: up for the rest of the year. So, yeah, come follow me, man. Let's do it. Yes, sir. And uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter at real Rico underscore BF. Uh, I'm, I'm all over the place and I got my YouTube shows on Friday. So come join your boy and it's a good time. And yo, Batman, we got to get to We got to get together and bring Ryan Tabu with you. Hey, Robin, you got to come through.
4: <laughs> my man. Thanks so much for coming on, guys. Love your stuff. As always, follow these dudes. They're must follows on, on Twitter. On all, Listen, this is, this is a new multimedia, multi-social media world. They're everywhere find them thanks guys appreciate it take care all right we're moving right along here we're getting into it I think we got what do we got we got two big ones left here two big acts left to come if you're still grinding with us we're 80 minutes in looks like, it shows me the stats up here on the top um 66 people are watching live right now um that is so awesome uh thanks for coming in and then um it shows you the thumbs up and the thumbs down 20 thumbs up, 1 thumb down. What's up with the thumbs down on this one? We're bringing I, people together. Right. We're unity is the big is the big um, you know, uh, mantra that's ringing in the halls of the United States of America in the last couple of weeks and I've loved every second of it and we're we're, we're just trying to show some unity tonight. What thumbs us down? Come on YouTube, be better than that. Anyway, this has been awesome, man. Uh and that last conversation it's funny, we talked about it before the show. Um I'm gonna bring this guy in here. He keeps popping in. I'm gonna I'm gonna say hi to him real quick. Mookie,
11: you're you're at 935. What are you oh, doing in here? I know. I'm I'm anxious, man. It's like my anxiety is killing me or something. All right, I'm kicking you out. 15 minutes. We'll see you. Okay, it's like speed dating.
4: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in 15 minutes. All right he's a little early he's excited, he's excited I, I like to get it in the i like
5: the excitement
4: next up is train wreck sports the boys the maniac the degenerate one they can't get in i don't think because i didn't email them the link
5: <laughs> that could that could be an issue
4: <laughs> oh my gosh i you're gonna have to talk for a minute because I got to send him this link.
5: No, that's fine. Going back to that last segment, you know, I think they did a really good job actually uh, swaying me a little bit on that topic in in terms of of that regime. And, you know, even later on, they brought in Russ Brandon and things like that. It it seemed to be a disaster after disaster after disaster. So, you know, in, in terms of holding back, yeah, maybe holding back is the right term because of those hires. Uh, that Ralph Wilson played a part in, in making over that time period. I, I think he was still trying to do the best oh, yeah. that he could, but just He's making some bad decisions. Oh. All. Here they are.
4: Look so, at these guys. And, you know, all right, you know, somebody's, not- somebody listening to the show to think, on their computer. I
2: know, oh, yeah, she stopped that. Reference.
4: Yeah, definitely stopped that. So, a couple things. <laughs> I just realized that you asked me to email this to you. I'm sorry. That's I'm okay. not
2: we accomplished
12: this. it against all odds. <laughs> no we account and I got a couple points I want to make right now. Mookie, if you ever try and Matt Damon me off the Jimmy Kimmel show again, I will come for you. And there is a promise. And I just want to say, I'm already one for one betting on the power hour, okay? I took the over on Tom Set. I lost that somehow. Somehow Tom Set goes under. Tell me about that. Happens. But I did win my prop bet on the Rockpile report to be broadcasting from a military bunker. So that's
13: huge. That's huge. <laughs>
4: Can't hear anything, Al? Can you hear me? No, take your headphones out. Take your headphones out. All right, so first of all, intro train wreck sports, degenerate L, maniac are in the house. Uh, train wreck tonight, the wrecking crew. Uh, they got the, they got podcast galore over on the network. Follow them. Are you rocking the J a Buffalo Braves? Oh my jersey? gosh.
12: It's the hottest item in Buffalo right now. Besides social justice moving on great Jersey. I'm loving it. I can't wait for sports Jersey Saturday. I had to jump the gun.
4: Nice. Can you hear us now? Oh, oh no. Gosh. Can you read lips? It, no
12: d- did you not permit it like audio did you not give be live the permissions you got to believe and be live al
4: okay hit us we're, we're running up against it here people are we're loving the to...
12: stash too they're loving the stash
4: yeah I, I like the stash we can just look at that my goodness so all right so hit us with the with your topic Let's let's, well, let's
12: what we're bringing here. to the table is and we want to bring this to the table. I mean, we could talk about oh, is Trent Murphy finally gonna have his full breakout year as a Buffalo Bill? Or we could talk about who's gonna be the fourth wide receiver. Oh, all these topics that have been dug into the ground. No, we're coming to you, folks, and we are gonna give you there is we got sources, okay? Frank and Cheek dawaga, one of the good ones, but moving on. We have sources within the government. No more stimulus check on the way, folks. So what's it about? It's about getting you that that free money. Okay. So let's go. Let's go. Let's get that. We're going to start. Al just left. That's what it, that just, that just sums up our, um, yes. Give me, get me try box right there. Shout out to the New York up, uh, intern for doing that. We're going to start up on the first topic. Okay. We start off on the first topic. We got six wagering topics that we want to help you joke you public out with tonight. Okay. We've got jets bills week one. Now I know what you're saying. Maniac. I already see this at my book. I can bet it. And I got to hit it right now. So right now the bills are minus six and a half to over under 40 and a half. Now somehow the NFL schedulers have just been sleeping guys. Cause is this the third time in four years where we're playing the jets to start the season?
4: I know every year. I feel like mm. it's uh last year was in, um, Meadowlands, though.
12: That's fair. That's fair. They, they've at least changed up the venue. They, they probably thought they were very clever by doing that, but here's what I'm saying. It's hard not to do this, but I got to do the Joe B bills, home opener pick. If you remember The Bills were actually minus six and a half at last year's home opener against the Cincinnati Bengals. And what happened? A three-point victory for the Bills. Well, they didn't cover, plain and simple, which is the most important thing. So I'm actually going to recommend. I know that all the Bills fans are going to (sighs) hate me. Jets minus or plus six and a half opening day against the Bills. Now, I know what you're saying, Maniac. You're the worst. We got that. It's okay. I'm predicting a Buffalo 2014 victory on opening day. So they're not going to cover. But they're gonna win, and we're all gonna go home happy, and we're gonna be more than delighted taking our money and that one and no home record home, boys.
4: So you're gonna sell, you're telling me that game one out of the gates that the Bills' offense against the Jets only puts up twenty points.
12: The Jets have a good defense. If Mosley's healthy, I know. All a, I know. That. That's a divisional game. They, things tend to go sideways in games against the Jets. So here's my take: is that they tend to trend defensive games. I mean, you look at 2017, you look at 2019, both of those games we're under 40 and a half points so i am definitely pushing the under 40 and a half in this game week 1
4: um also let me ask you this too um do you have like a heavyweight championship of the world like i feel like no, the us title no. is like isn't that like a secondary title i don't title? mess with that
12: because it's not it's not about where the muscles are and you see i have plenty to go around it's about where the heart is, and that's in the U.S. of A. Let's go, folks. Al, can you hear yes. us? Are you in? Are you on?
9: I can hear you guys. Can you hear me? Yeah, yes. yes. let's, go. let's go. All right,
12: Al. Al, lightning
4: you pick get eight
9: minutes. To get
12: lightning pick Jets. I just talked Jets Bills week one. Give your picks for both and why. You got thirty seconds. <laughs> what are you doing? We can hear you. you Hearing you. We can hear you. When you threw it, before you threw him, we can hear you.
4: <laughs> wow. This is, well, that's not good. well, right in the middle of our show. I mean, is
12: there, can honestly though, if you're a first time viewer to train our sports, I mean, are you not more curious about what Al has to say? This guy has been on your screen twice and you haven't heard from him. You haven't heard from him. It's a mystery. What
0: does this guy grows about?
4: the stash like that? Okay. Let me ask you yes. this. Let's streamline this. Let's just, Al, you stay right there. Just smile. Just smile. Maniac, give us your number one lock. Bill's bet of the year.
12: Well, here's the thing. I want to save our people value. It's about a free money frenzy, okay? It's not about, you know, betting every game and winning as much as possible, okay? So with that said, the bills to make the playoffs right now are minus 185, okay? Is it just wild card or divisional game? The Bills to win eight and a half games or more is minus 175. So, gentlemen, there's a little bit of value. Woo! Value. Smooth it in right there. Value to be had. Why would you bet the Bills to make the playoffs when you can bet the Bills to just win over eight and a half games? This is my thing. This is my biggest thing. I don't want you to lose the value. Go out and bet the Bills over eight and a half wins. Instead of betting the tempting thing to do as a fan, which is betting the Bills to make the playoffs. Because are they going to make the playoffs at eight and eight? Most likely not, but they might miss the playoffs at nine and seven. And it's so facto, there is the value town. I take you to value has everything you need, but I'm 50.
4: So the thing about that jingle is everybody in Western New York that grew up here knows it. Nobody likes it. Oh no. That's the thing. (laughs) But you just saying that like you loved it. And so I appreciate it. Oh,
12: well, believe me, I, you know, growing up, I, have specialized in making it seem like I love things that are just atrocious.
4: But with that said, I got
12: to shout out talking Buffalo podcast, degenerate Al just went P rabbit with the bright lights on. (laughs) That's hilarious. That's a great reference. Speaking of movie references, joining the stream on B live was like in star Wars, or sorry, Star Trek Into Darkness when they uh, jump from ship to ship in the middle of space. I was like, I was going through the logins, then I got the authentication, and we're in.
5: Yeah. So uh, I have a question for you in rip, terms rip of away. a lock. According yep. to DraftKings, Josh Allen, his over-under for passing touchdowns this year is 21.5. Isn't that an easy over, considering he threw 20 touchdowns last year? And that was before the addition of Stephon Diggs? It
12: seems like it is. And I've and I've seen a lot of Josh Allen MVP discussion. And honestly, I believe he has all the tools to do it. I believe he has the repertoire to do it now with Diggs, Beasley, Brown. Of course, the running backs as well. Knox, if he develops in the second year, like a lot of people are expecting him to. Here's the thing, though. I feel like Dable and McDermott always tend to lean a little bit conservative with the lead. That's my biggest concern in all of it. Literally, I McDermott loves when he can make you play a game in a phone booth. I feel like his dream game was the Pittsburgh Steeler game last year, where he basically just rendered the Pittsburgh Steeler offense inept and don't allow them to do anything and just grind out the game. So just looking back on it, obviously that does seem like an easy
9: over. Oh my gosh, is this B-Rabbit at the end of the movie? (laughs) Guys, I don't, I don't, yes, I can hear you guys. Every 15 seconds. All right, don't move.
12: Don't move. Don't move. All right, so Al, what do you got? Josh Allen, MVP
9: odds, 35 to one. Thoughts? Oh, I got some serious thoughts, and I'm moving very slowly. So You're good. You're good. All right, here we go. So I was looking at these odds. To be in the same comparison, you got Big Ben 40 to one, Matty Ice, 30 to 1. But my favorite one looking at this, Joe Burrow has better odds than Josh Allen to win MVP. 30 to one. Baker Mayfield 30 to one. Both those quarterbacks have better odds than Josh Allen. That's not
12: surprising to me, though, and I'll obviously let you guys jump in with your input on that because they have the upside factor. They could literally point to it and show, okay, it was Baker Mayfield developing in his third year that took this Browns team to this level. It was Joe Burrow coming to this league-worst Cincinnati Bengals that made them that level. The Bills were already a 10-win team. Like a lot of people have alluded to, Josh Allen is basically going to have to put up 35 to 40 touchdowns to get to that MVP discussion. I think that's why the odds are that way.
5: I think that's fair, but what would Burrow have to really do? I don't think just getting that team to 500, not that I think they're going to be at 500 or a playoff team, but I don't even think just even if he has this miraculous season where he gets into the playoffs, is that really enough for him to get the MVP award? I don't think it is in today's NFL.
9: No, and I I think the upside is though with Allen. I mean, this is the big year. I mean, they, they have the best odds that they've ever had to win the Super Bowl and the AFC championship. So you know, and obviously the past 15, 20 years. So, I mean, I don't know. I just think it's a little ridiculous that, you know, the number one pick has better odds that he's going to do a shit ton more than Allen has to do in his first season.
4: I think Burrow has a nice little supporting cast around him. So, I think that there's really, you know, as long as the offseason, the truncated offense or off season doesn't impact him negatively, I think he could have a nice season. But if we're talking about MVP, I don't see a scenario where Cincinnati wins their division, let alone makes the playoffs. And like, listen, he was great at LSU. uh, Don't get me wrong, but it's a whole new ball game. He's, he's entering into, and we still, there's plenty of questions about Zach Taylor and what he looks like uh, 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 running the show out there. So I, I think that it's also obvious, but listen, I think we're all familiar with the the national trend of the narrative on Josh Allen. And it's not going to change until he changes it. I mean, I've gone back and watched multiple games now from last year. And listen, if you were to harp on some of the bad plays and if you were to let them linger with you a little bit, it's easy to dislike Josh Allen as Mm -hmm. a player because some of the bad plays he makes are really bad. But I also would argue the other side of it are the, the great plays that he makes not everybody and only a, a small pl- pool of players can make. So how does he go from where he's at now, the consist- lack of consistency that he's, deve- that he's shown, and bring that to a level where he could be just a little bit better a little bit more of the time? That, that's a question that remains to be seen. He's set up better now to do that than ever before. Like we mentioned on this podcast numerous times, there's no excuses left. He's got the talent. He's got the number one wide receiver. He's got the continuity. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. Speaking of continuity, the two of you guys just getting through this segment with all the technical difficulties. Yeah. Trainwreck tonight is the place to be. Uh, I was giving love to my guy Rico, and he brings it. But you guys also have a must-see show. Let everybody know where they can find you.
12: Check us out. Trainwreck sports without the O on Twitter. We lost it in a lawsuit. We're battling to get it back, but we lost the O. Trainwreck spurts on Twitter, but across every other platform, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's just Trainwreck Sports, one word spelled out. Big, huge shout-out to you guys for putting this on. Obviously, you guys are always giving back and always respectful and love love what you guys are doing. And, yeah, I mean, this might be the hottest new thing around. Hopefully, Al didn't just crush it.
4: We can hear him now. He figured it out. Uh, sorry.
9: Hey, uh, I apologize, guys. Third time. Not
4: all, th- Not all dogs can learn new tricks, Al. Ooh. We'll see you next time.
9: <laughs> Good Night now, love you, thanks, boys. Guys. Later. Good night. Now,
4: all right, so we've moved to the finale of the show. And well, Mookie was trying to get in here early, he he's was. joining uh JTM from Cold Front Report. We're about to bring them in here, um, to close off the show. Uh, they do a, a great job over on Facebook, they're real active on Facebook. They do uh, usually a, about a weekly show. Uh, I've been on Clayton's podcast a couple of times, he's also on. Um, their network and uh they just do uh some fun stuff. Another uh fan blog that's that's really uh created a nice little niche for themselves in the market. And uh my man right here, JTM in the building.
13: Yo, what's up? What's up, what's up? Hey.
4: What's up, my man? We're, we'll get Mookie in here in a second. I just gave the big introduction. Uh, we're getting late here, so I don't want to waste any of your time. Let's dive into this thing.
13: Bring your topic and then we'll we'll start to discuss and we'll add Mookie when he gets in here. Yeah, man. Uh I mean tonight we 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 really talk about the sticking point. Like this is something ain't nobody's really talking about. Who gets the short end of the stick when it comes to the one football? We got a lot of talent in that receiver room now. A lot of talent. Somebody's gonna come up a little short. We're trying to figure out who it is gonna be. So let's start off with. I, th- I really
4: like this question, and I think we could go a couple areas with it. But let me ask you this first, um, Jeremy. Where do you think – who do you think – because John, John Brown and Cole Beasley were the two um, top-targeted players on this team last year. Who do you think has to take a step back in terms of targets, if you will, with the addition of Stefan Diggs? Let's start there.
13: What's up, Mookie? Hey, what's good? I think as far as targets, I mean, when you look at the targets, John Brown had 115, Cole Beasley had 106. I think in, in the amount of targets, I think it's going to have to be John Brown. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to uh, be Brown.
5: Okay, I, I think that's fair. You know, and maybe this is a generic answer. I think it's going to be a week by week kind of scenario. I don't think. I think when all is said and done, yeah, both of those guys, Beasley and Brown might have fewer targets when, when all is said and done because you have Diggs, you have Knox possibly uh, emerging in year two as well. But I just think it's going to be a week-by-week week thing. There might be a game where Diggs goes off and he has 150, 160 yards, and then there's going to be a game where, where they're going to be targeting Beasley in the slot because of some kind of mismatch that they see. So, you you know, when all is said and done, I think those top two receivers from last year could definitely see – Their targets go down a bit, but at the same time, Brown coming off a career year could also have another kind of career year because of the attention that Diggs is going to bring with the uh, the opposing cornerback one and the safety help. So it's really going to be interesting, and, and it's such a great question because last year there were limited options, I felt, for Josh Allen but this year there's so many when you, when you think about these players coming into year 2 the addition of Stefan Diggs and obviously Brown and Beasley
13: no most definitely mookie mookie get in here man what do you think
11: um i mean when you know when you look at okay you bringing in smoke you bringing in sauce last year um both of those guys put up career numbers like you look at Beasley his best season since what 2006 and uh smokes uh, his best year in targets and catches since what 2015. So now you bring in a number one guy. So do their um numbers decrease? Do they targets decrease because you're bringing in a true number one? Um when I really thought about it and then you know me and Jeremy was talking about it uh you know earlier, Josh Allen threw for over four hundred and you know sixty attempts last year, you know, twenty less than Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going to go out on them. I'm going to say Josh Allen is going to go over 500 in passing attempts next year, and I think everybody has a good shot on targets being up. I think Beasley has a good time, a good chance of having 100 targets as well as Smoke, and I, I'm quite sure they're going to definitely target Dicks. So I think that you know there's room for everybody to eat. It's just all about is uh, the offensive coordinator, is he going to you know cook the food right? Is he going? Is he going to lay the? Is he going to lay the table that where everybody can eat? And, you know, see Josh Allen's efficiency goes up. That's what this is more or less about efficiency. You know, I mean, if we can complete, you know, anywhere between 60, 63 to 64 completion percentage next year, you know, then opposed to, you know, what Jeremy was saying earlier, 58%. I think that he has a good shot and everybody has a good chance on getting their targets.
13: Yeah, no, I mean, and thinking about like going back to Ryan's initial question um about the targets. I think John Brown's targets are going to scale back from 115. I don't think we're going to see that number again. But I mm-hmm. think his yards per catch, which I think we all expect to be a little bit higher, and his yak yards are going to go up with the addition of Stephon Diggs. But if you ask me who's going to get the short end of the stick, out of all this, out of everybody in everybody's receiving core, Gabriel Davis, Isaiah Hodges, all these young guys are included as well, I think it's going to be Stephon Diggs. And the reason I say that is because the, the lack of, of offseason. And not only a lack of all season, but the lack of creativity that I've seen from Brian Dable through his entire offensive coordinator career. I don't think that he has the creativity to move his pieces around to create mismatches because I simply have not seen that yet.
7: Mm.
4: You know, one thing I'm really interested to watch this year and going off of your point and what Mookie said a little earlier is where's the development going to be at for Brian Dable? Mm. Because, you know, In the moment of the season, especially early on in the season, I liked a lot of things that I saw and the way that he called a lot of games in the moment, watching the games live. Going back and watching the games, I really think that they relied too much on the run, and they were a little bit too safe. Now, I think that a lot of that had to do with a second-year, very raw quarterback that they weren't trying to... You know, you go and look at what happened with... Sam Darnold against the Patriots. I mean, we all remember the Monday, uh, I think it was the Monday night clip where he was, uh, he was uh, mic'd up on the sidelines and he said, I'm seeing ghosts out there. <laughs> he looked like he was really seeing ghosts. I mean, he looked like he was shook. And I think that that's something that this coaching staff has guarded against at all costs. And by doing that, I think that they've had to employ a safe offense and it wasn't always safe. And, you know, a lot of those fourth quarter comebacks came when they took the reins off and let Josh be a little bit more, you know, creative, a little bit more um, allowed him to do a little bit more. But I think that having Stefan Diggs in the mix, he does so many things well. And and Jeremy, you said that, you know, it could mean more yards after the catch. It could be more, um, you know, yards per catch for John Brown. I think those things are going to happen for Diggs because Diggs is a different kind of player. Um, I think that it can happen for Brown in the sense that all of the attention is going to be on Diggs. And if you go back, especially against some of the higher octane cornerbacks that John Brown faced last year, he struggled with the physicality, the inability to separate because of how physical guys played him. Stefan Diggs wants that physicality. And he brings a kind of elusiveness and quickness at the line of scription and line of scrimmage and his route running that John Brown just doesn't bring. It's just they are different kinds of players like that. And he he seeks out the contact, Stephon Diggs, as opposed to John Brown. So I think those traits are going to lend themselves to being Josh Allen's new best friend. And so I think you talk about – I think it's going to be tough to get Dawson Knox involved because of how many miles they have to feed in the receiver's room. And now we're talking about maybe – you know, one of the top two or three top trios of receiver in the NFL, Cole Beasley, go back and watch that Patriots game in new England last year. Look how good Cole Beasley was in that game. He was open a lot more times than the six catches that he had and the impact that he put on that game. And I think that could be even more so impactful in 2020, but we'll see. This is such a great question because I think there's so many guys that depending on the week, like Ryan said, could struggle to get enough looks and, I don't know. This is a weird, this is a weird offense, it's a weird situation because you go back to the playoff game and Duke Williams got 10 targets. So I know Mookie <laughs> was out there like,
2: let's go.
11: But most people were scratching their head. Yeah. You know, I, I got the chance to watch it. Like you said, I watched that game from not from you know just sitting in front of my TV and watching it as much different. And oh my God, I would love to sit down with with with, with Brian Dable. And ask him what was going on in your mind in that fourth quarter to overtime. Okay, you 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 got that drive to force overtime. It didn't have to come to that, but ooh, that that showed me right then and there the digs move right there. I mean, it was a lot of drop passes. It was a lot of drop passes. It was it was some decision, it was some definitely some questionable decision making on both sides and some 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 horrible tackling. It was just, uh, uh.
5: It, you know, the one thing I'm going to say about Brian Dable is there's no excuses this year because you guys mentioned maybe a lack of creativity. I think maybe it was a lack of having the correct personnel for that 11 personnel. When you bring in a guy like Stefan Diggs, well, now you have everything that you need. So there's no excuses this year, but maybe last year it wasn't a lack of creativity. It's just we have Brown, we have Beasley but we're missing that other piece, that other guy that can really unlock this offense. Now, if Diggs, for whatever reason, is not that piece, then that falls solely on Dable's shoulders, and and I could see that uh, ending poorly for him this season. So uh, I I think that's one of the most interesting angles going into this year is now that there's the talent around Josh Allen, uh, can Dable take that next step for this offense? And and in terms of going back to the original question the targets, you know, maybe it's not Dable. Maybe it's Sean McDermott that likes to play those games tight where, okay, we have a lead. We have a great defense. Let's grind it out. Let's use that run game. Let's depend on our defense. But hopefully year three of Josh Allen, that's when when the training wheels, so to speak, come off of this offense altogether.
13: Yeah, you know what? And I, I I love that point about uh, Sean McDermott. And I, I've always compared Sean McDermott's style to Marty Schottheimer, Marty Ball. So I call him McDermott Ball now. You know. Run the ball, play tough football, leave the game in defensive hands. But I'm also going to go back to Matt's point about Dawson Knox. See, I think Dawson Knox is going to be the one out of all these, all these guys that are currently on this roster that's going to benefit the most from Stefan Diggs. I almost feel like it's going to be him in a restaurant taking a little entree off everybody else's plate. And I can see this guy – actually, I can see Dawson Knox getting 60 receptions this year.
4: I think they. I, th- I think that's what they envision. I think that that's what they thought believed when they, when they drafted him. Um, I just, the one hesitation I have with Dawson and going all in were the drops last year. And where does, does this hit a, a, a point in this season? If he continues to struggle with that part of his game where they don't turn over tight end one duties to Tyler Croft, who's still on the roster and has the experience mm-hmm. and let your wide receivers go out there and make plays. So I'm very bullish on Dawson Knox. I, I Let me state that. But I, at the same time, I I also am um, aware of how tough it can be to kind of eliminate those mistakes from your game. And it's a type of situation. Like, you go back and watch some of those drops. Like, I remember early on, I, I think it was the Giants game. I can't remember the Giants in Cincinnati, but he had one right over the middle that he just put on the deck. And those are the times of plays that – subconsciously or consciously lose the faith of your quarterback. And to Josh's credit and Dawson's credit, they got it back over the course of the season. You go back to that Patriots game. And when they made that connection, when the bills offense was flatlining and they needed a big play and right before halftime, he throws what, at first, we thought it was a touchdown pass. Ended up being at down at the one yard line, but that was one of the plays of the season, and, and that was one of, you know that kept them in that game. And they went up in the in the second half and and had New England in place late in the third quarter that maybe the Bills could threaten to win that game. So Dawson Knox needs to take those positive experiences and transfer them over to his second year and eliminate some of those mistakes. I believe he can, but if he doesn't, that's the kind of situation I'm referring to more so in that I think that you have so many more options that Josh Allen didn't have before. And so I think that's where it can be different.
5: Yeah, I actually remember the drop exactly what you're talking about. I think it was the Giants game. He turned his head upfield to look towards the end zone. I think he was trying to figure out the, the best route to get past those defenders, and he turned his head too soon and dropped it. And you're right; it was right on the money. Um, so you know, w- with Knox himself, if he can get the catches under control, yes, the the sky is the limit because most linebackers can't keep up with them. Most defensive backs he can kind of stiff arm into the ground. So the, the talents there, there's no doubt about that. But it, you know, he, you're right. He has to earn that trust throughout the season with his hands.
13: Yeah, and I mean, 20 percent—that's what he had. 20 percent was his drop percentage last year. That's astounding for NFL player. But as a rookie, I, I think I see him benefiting. And one guy I compare some—I compare him to—is Julius Thomas inside the Broncos' offense with Decker and Demarius Thomas when Peyton Manning got there. And this is why I have so much trust in his Julius Thomas was a mismatch nightmare because you had so many people around him that were talented players. Now, after Denver, man, I don't even know if he's still in the league, but right now, he got a lot of pieces around him.
4: Boys, you brought it tonight, man. I loved it. I loved the topic. This was a fun conversation. Let them both, Let everybody know, both you guys, where they can find you, what you got cooking, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll do this again soon. Mook, you, you want to go first, Mook?
11: Uh, yeah, and furthermore, I don't think Coach McDermott uh, basically wants the tight games. He said pr- pr- basically he would love the idea of – Eating, drinking the Gatorade, eating the orange at the end of the game. So, I and, and with that, that 24 to that 20 to 14 against the Jets, we got to score more than 20 points. I don't care if it's a pandemic or not, it's going to be an epidemic if we don't score more than 20 points. With you. <laughs> but, uh, Hey, y'all can check me out on Waffle Sports 1080 Sports TV. That's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, Matt Ryan, I appreciate you guys having me on the show, man.
13: Hey, you guys can catch me at JTMCFR on Twitter and on Instagram. You can catch us on the cold front report right here on YouTube under the uh, hashtag uh, cold front report on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Instagram is actually cold front report underscore bills news. Cold front report is already gone. I don't know who took it, but it was gone. But once again, (laughs) thanks for uh, Matt and Ryan, NYF always having us. You guys do a great job. We appreciate this was epic. Indeed. Thanks so much. We're at the end of the road. Have a great night, guys. We'll talk to you soon.
4: Speed dating. (laughs) <laughs> that was awesome. Um, so that's going to do it where uh, I was planning on having a little uh, wrap up session, but every segment was, was, was packed with information. And I think everybody um, can check this out on all the podcast networks. If you're watching on YouTube, I mean, we stayed over 50 for this whole show. So you guys are awesome out there. I really appreciate you. Uh, so uh, for Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. Uh, Shout the Buffalo Bills podcast, and we will be uh, back next week with another live show on Wednesday. Have a great night.